2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want to talk to you today about making a difference by shaping one's destiny. Beginning of verse 16, chapter 5. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no man according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know Him thus no longer. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new species of being. He's a new creation, creature, creator, creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come to be. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were entreating through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. John Scully made a corporate move to Apple computers that made absolutely no sense. John Scully was second in command of the large PepsiCo conglomerate. conglomerate. He, he was second in command. And he was invited or entreated to become the president and the CEO of Apple Computers a computer company that was struggling to survive. It had a very iffy future. Its founder, the bright Steve Job, had been begging and treating John Scully to come and be in his company. And he turned him down repeatedly. It didn't make any sense. I mean, after all, he had all these years of experience with uh, this conglomerate, this PepsiCo company. And he knew absolutely nothing about how to revive a struggling computer industry. But Stephen, Blow, Stephen Job continued to encourage him. And one day he flew from Silicon Valley to New York City to make one final appeal. They met for lunch. And after lunch they went up on top of this high-rise building and look, overlooking New York City. And, and uh, Job asked him one more time, Scully? Are you going to come to Apple computers or not? And he said, well, it doesn't make any sense for me to come to your company. He said, uh, you don't have enough money to hire me. He said, well, try me. And he just off the top of his head said, well, I'll have to have a million dollars annually. I'll have to have a million dollars signing bonus. And I'll have to have in the contract a million dollars guaranteed severance if I ever decide to leave for any reason. And Job said, you got it. Whatever you want, whatever you ask, you can have it. He said, where did you get those figures, by the way? He said, well, I thought they were nice round numbers. <laughs> he said, besides, I was going to give you a salary that I thought would finally get you off my back. And then Steve Job asked the question, 
that caused John Scully to make one of the most amazing corporate moves in modern business history. This was the question. John, do you want to spend the rest of your life selling sugar and water, or do you want a chance to change the world? I love that question. Well, gee, that's a great question. Do you want a chance to change the world? And this is how John Scully uh, replied. This is what he said about it. It was like somebody hit me with a stiff blow in my stomach. It simply eroded all my resistance. Suddenly, I began to think like a dreamer and a visionary. After all, changing the world is rather a heavy thought. The question was a momentous one, one for which I had no answers. It simply took all the wind out of me. I am by nature a romantic. It would take a change-the-world challenge to capture my imagination, and it did. Are you up to sort of a change-the-world challenge? I mean, are you interested in that? Now, I have a feeling that some of you uh, think when, when preachers get up and, you, and they talk about, come on, let's change the world, you know, we think, well, you know, what can we do about it? If you, if you read my column this past week, there's, uh, I, I came across this uh, uh, Peanuts cartoon, and there's Charlie Brown and Lucy, and they're staring out into the night. And Lucy says, man, space is large. Next, captain, next caption, we don't need all this space. These planets are much too big. They don't need to be so big. Next caption. What the whole universe needs is a readjustment. And then Charlie Brown asks, well, what can we do as individuals? I mean, are you up to a change the world challenge? Your answer is, well, what can we do kind of thing. I'm talking about changing somebody's forever. Now, it occurred to me this past week as I was working on this sermon that I've been talking a lot about making a difference, but most of the things I've been talking about are differences that are so temporary, like you know, being somebody's minister and caring for people and praying for people. I want to talk to you this morning about a an opportunity to change somebody's forever. That's what this text is talking about. He talks about getting inside somebody's skin and feeling their feelings and sensing their loneliness and heartache. It, it talks about seeing from their perspective their, their life. It talks about the ministry of reconciliation. And the word means to put everything right or to make everything change. It talks about the message of reconciliation. It talks about being an ambassador for Christ. And then it assures us that you and I can become involved in that which will ensure a person that he'll spend eternity with God. Are you up to that? Would you like to be a part of shaping somebody's eternal destiny? Well, I want to warn you about three things before you make a commitment to that. There's a, two or three things that he warns us about in the text. First, don't be fooled by appearances. He said, from henceforth we recognize, we recognize no man according to the flesh. What he's saying is, from now on we're not going to judge a person on the basis of his exterior. 
We're not going to judge a person on the basis of what we see when we see him or what we hear when we hear him. We're not going to judge a person by externals. That is, we're not going to decide if I like somebody by what I see. I'm not going to decide whether I talk to somebody about the Lord on the basis of what I see any longer. You see, if you judge a person on the basis of his externals, you might assume that person has absolutely no interest in God whatsoever. On the other hand, if you judge this person by externals only, you might see somebody has all the trappings of religion, and you might just assume, well, that person's already right with God. You might be wrong on both counts. Robert Craning tells about playing golf one day with a friend. He said they were joined by two other guys at, at the first tee. They didn't know these guys, but they came and joined their foursome, and he said from the very first, you know, Minute of, the, of meeting this guy, he said the guy's absolutely the most profane man he'd ever been around. Every word that came out of his mouth was profanity. He used God's name in vain in ways he's I've never heard of. He said, but halfway through the golf match, evidently, said, Craning said, my friend must have gotten close around to him and said, hey, you know that guy's a preacher? You know, you're talking like this? Because he said, he came over to me a little going down the fairway and he said, hey, I, uh, I'm sorry what I've been saying. He said, I probably offended you. And Craning said, well, I thought, well, I'll just dig in there while I got a chance. He said, I said, well, that's not the best thing I've heard in a long time. He said, but let me, let me say, you know, don't apologize to me. He said, there are a couple other people you need to apologize. He said, who are they? He said, well, God and his son. And the guy said, would you, would you tell me about that? He said, I've heard all my life, you know, bits and pieces about Jesus Christ. He said, would you tell me a little bit about him? And he said, so they started walking down the fairway, and he said, I was just sharing with him about Christ. And he said, the guy was like a sponge. He was just, I mean, on every word. And he said, I would say something. He'd say, you know, I've never heard that. Where did you hear that? Where did you get that? He said, after we finished the last hole, we went over and sat down on a bench. He said, we talked for an hour and a half, and this guy was over there saying, tell me about this. I've never heard that before. And he said, I had an appointment to keep, and so I went to my car, and I was putting my clubs in my car, and he followed me in my car. He said, could we meet tomorrow at a certain time? He said, I need to know what you're talking about. On the basis of the external, you'd look at that guy and say, that guy has absolutely no interest in God at all. The God of this universe ask us gives us assignment after assignment, day after day, that you and I reject and we don't think a thing about it. I mean, the God of the universe gives us assignment after assignment that we have never, never, never fulfilled and we don't think a thing about it. And you say, well, what is this assignment? Can you be more specific? Yeah, I can. I think that assignment we have is threefold. Now watch this. I believe our assignment is to confront the issues. Now the issues are these. One is that a person can totally waste his life. Jesus said, what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? I mean, you can be successful as the world deems success and lose your soul and you're not successful. So tomorrow you're sitting around that barbecue on Labor Day and that neighbor's over there, over to your house, and you confront the issue and you say to him, Sir, is it possible that you're wasting your life? 
Is it true that you are successful in your business, but you're wasting your life? Second issue. The issue that, that we can do some things that are so sincere and we can do things that are perfectly right and yet they're humanistic and they're not of God. And so you're sitting next week with that friend and you say to that friend, you know, I've been thinking, you're such a sincere and wonderful person, deeply religious. Is it possible that you're doing all these things in religion but you don't know Jesus Christ personally? And the third issue is that we... We are so influenced by our culture. The culture is making a greater impact on us than we're making on the culture. Now watch this. Somebody in this room this morning needs to confront the issue that we're not changing the world. It's changing us. Confront the issue. Second, our, our assignment is, is to confirm what Jesus said about himself. Jesus came to his disciples and he said, what are people saying? You read the polls, how they like me. And they said, man, they say you're great, you're doing great, you're wonderful. Some say you're even Elijah, John the Baptist, risen from the dead. Then Jesus asked that question, it was like a blow to the stomach. Well, who do you say I am? Is there anybody here this morning who will walk into that business you're in down there a Tuesday morning after Labor Day, walk in, gather your employees together and say, I've come today to confirm what Jesus Christ has said about himself, the only Son of God, the only way, the only way to heaven. I've come to confirm that Jesus Christ is Lord. Confirm what he said about himself. Third, our assignment is to conform to the image of his life. For that's what an ambassador is. He's a person who acts a way and speaks a way and shares in such a way that he actually is the representative of Jesus. Are you ready for that? That's the assignment. You know what we've done? We've become so comfortable with each other, we don't even have lost friends anymore. All right, one last thought. We... Um, don't make light of the assignment. The final word is, don't stop short of the appeals. Now what he says in this text is this. He said, we beseech you as though God were begging through us, be reconciled to God. That word beseech there is an interesting word. It means to beg, it means to plead, it means to go to the limit. We beg you, beg you. We don't stop short of anything to, con to convince you this is the way. Philip Abib was appointed as ambassador to the Middle East. This is what he said about what he had to do. Listen, quote, I feel like I spend all my time nonstop arguing, bartering, selling, pressuring, convincing, negotiating, and agonizing for peace. I never dreamed what demands would be made on me. When I got there, I found I was an alien in a strange land with a strange message bordering and begging and convincing and pressuring and agonizing 
That's what he's talking about. The Apostle Paul said in another place, I've become all things to all men in order that, my, that I might save some. I don't stop at anything to cause people to come to know Christ, to shape the destinies of people. And so Hudson Taylor, the great missionary to China, was home on a little trip and he was speaking to a group of staid, sophisticated Englishmen. And he told about the time that a group of Chinese men were fishing and one of their colleagues, one of their friends was drowning and, and they wouldn't save him because they didn't have, his wife didn't have enough money to pay him to save him. They let him drown. And he said there was this corporate gasp went up in that hall. People abhorring the thought that a pe other people let somebody drown because they didn't have enough money to pay to get him saved. And after they gasped, he said, I sensed that you are repulsed by the thought. But he said, I've been in China and every day of my life I see thousands of people perishing without God. Where are the cries of distress for them? I don't hear them. In October 1989, the world focused on the drama of the one. It didn't matter that one of our flagships had been hit by an Iranian missile. It didn't matter that the Dow Jones average was on a downhill plunge. We were all captivated by one little girl, Jessica McClure, fell through a hole 21 feet deep into an eight inch pipe and the whole country focused on it. And they brought in drilling experts and highway construction equipment and pneumatic drills and special air vents and high pressure hydraulic uh, equipment and a Herculean effort. They even flew people out there to, the, to West Texas to save this one. But if I hear correctly, before we meet again in Bryan County, somebody will slip into an abyss that is darker than night and, and lonelier than anything you have ever known. And it might be the person who ate breakfast with you this morning. I met a man, his name is R.D. Todd. Todd Tidwell is named after him. I was his pastor. I'd go out on Saturday during the seminary days and we'd go visit this guy, same guy. He absolutely hated to see us coming every Saturday. One day as we were leaving the house, I said, his name was R.D. Todd, I said, R.D., did you ever get tired and discouraged about going to the same guy? He said, Gerald, right after the war, he said, I took a job for the transit company, Dallas Transit System. He said, I drove a, a, a bus, some, uh, I think he told me he drove a, one of these uh, trolley cars. And he says, a guy rode to work with me. I lived out in, way out in South Oak Cliff. He says, a guy, we went to carpool to work. He said, this guy started coming by every Saturday to, to, to tell me about Christ. 
And he said every Saturday of the, week, of the year he was there. And he said if I had to be gone or something, he'd miss. But every Saturday, he said Saturday after Saturday, month after month, year after year, he said that guy was there begging me, begging me. And here I am. And the amazing thing about this passage, now watch this and we're out of here. Got, got time is the picture we have not just of the person who is entreating, but the God who is entreating through him. He said it is as if God was begging through us. And all of a sudden I thought, well, look at this concept of God, a beseeching God. Can you, believe, can you believe that? Can you imagine that? Can you fathom that? That God has wounds in his hands and they're outstretched. And God has sorrow and love flowing, mingling down His face. And His face is toward us. And He's begging us to come to Him. And I remember Jesus looking over Jerusalem crying, I would have taken you like a hen takes a chick, but you would not. And the Bible throbs with the thought. You would not come to me that you might have life. I tell you, that's the, that's the eternal heartbreak of God, a beseeching God. Now, if God who loved us and created us would beg us to come to him, how can I do less? How can I do less? How can I stand it? To know that when I stand in that hall of Durant High School Tuesday morning, and folks are passing by, that there is a God inside of me who is begging them to come to Him. Or in the halls of Southeastern. Or in the homes of Durham, America. You want to change somebody's forever? Help them to come to know Christ and spare nothing. Let's pray. Our Father, my prayer today is, is that those of us who have never experienced a personal relationship with Christ, religious and good, knowledgeable, would come to faith of a child, to the trustful surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and by confessing Him, receive Him. And for the rest of us who are on our way to there, on the way, Lord, help us to make a difference in somebody's life forever. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Now, in the early service this morning, a young man came and took me by the hand. He said, Gerald, I can't promise you that I'll always be what I ought to be, but I want you to pray that I'll become the person who makes a difference someone's life. Maybe you could say that. Maybe you'd want to say that publicly today. Or maybe there's some of you here this morning who have, and you have never come to know Christ personally. You're religious and good and all that, but you've never faced the issue of your separate, separatedness, your lostness from Christ. Jesus is the only way to God. Maybe you, do you know him personally? 
Or maybe you need to come this morning and place your life in the membership of First Baptist Church. While we stand to sing, we invite you to come.